Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast with LF Insights, where we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coggill of LF Insights. And this week we're discussing the 1980s hit film, The Karate Kid. Yes, that's right. And what it can tell us about the mastery of things. So, Peter, I know that Aleph... Actually, I'm going to start on something else, actually, because I think it could be quite slightly geeky to be into something like this. And just for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us, Peter, about the T-shirt that you're wearing, please? Oh, I think I've got a T-shirt on. Um, Nick, can you read it? It says, I'm an engineer. To save time, let's just assume that I'm never wrong. <laughs> I mean, do we really need to comment on this, or should we just keep going? Anything you want to say, Nick? <laughs> No, that's that's very him, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the Karate Kid. Um, let's just start off. Um, can you tell me, Peter, what is your favourite scene from uh, the Karate Kid? And um, you don't have to tell us why yet, but can you think of what your favourite scene is? You you get thinking as well, Nick. Uh, I think it's probably the scene where, after the first day where he's been doing all these boring chores, wax on, wax off, um, painting the fence, up, down, up, down, uh, he really, uh, Mr. Miyagi. Miyagi um, then reveals to him why he's been doing this. Right, and there's this, this moment this, of epiphany, right? Yeah, the moment of epiphany where he's he's unconsciously been assimilating all of this skill, sure, doing these repetitive tasks, and then suddenly it all makes sense. Okay, and he can do it without without any kind of any thought at all. Good. Okay, Nick, your your favorite scene. There's, there's only one scene in the Karate Kid, and Peter has just described it. So uh, that's really that's I think that that one scene really uh, uh, epitomizes what we're what we're talking about today. I think. Okay, so he sort of stole your thunder there. Um, okay, the Karate well, Kid stole everyone's thunder. <laughs> but my favourite bit actually is 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 in the final competition, the climax of the of of, of the whole thing, where he gets unfairly. Um, and illegally kicked in the knee or whatever it is and looks like he breaks his knee in two right and and then through some sort of bizarre eastern sort of um, mythological he gets healed somehow and he's able to go out there hopping on one leg and defeats the other guy so um, that's my favorite bit but I don't think that quite necessarily relates to what we want to talk about which I think you were starting to talk about Peter which is we were talking about the moment that it um, that it sort of everything started to make sense so can you use that as a springboard? Off you go. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Karate Kid is a, is a really nice, uh, um, accessible example of how how people assimilate skills uh, and how they learn things. So um, it, it's a very interesting part of psychology and learning science is how, how you um, assimilate new information and new skills and then be able to use that to make decisions or to, to form beliefs uh, or to, to change your behaviours. Um, and it's... Um, it's something that everybody does and it's something that humans are exceptionally good at. It's sort of one of those things that really defines uh, the human animal is being able to is to be able to sort of experience things, think about them and then translate that into some sort of abstract form that can then be used um, elsewhere in other situations. Um, but beyond beyond the sort of individual level, I think there's an, an, a useful analogue with how... Um, businesses and organizations perform um, and I don't really see a distinction between single humans and groups of humans in much in the way that they behave uh, and much of the this big business in 
in organizational consultancy and business consultancy, which is doing a very similar thing for businesses, but with a slightly more engineering focus. You know, we, take, we take a business and we make it more profitable by changing parts of it. And part of that is reskilling uh, the people within it. So you're changing the organization's behaviors in much the same way as you're changing people. Okay. And you're sort of patching, you're sort of mentally patching their cognitive behaviors with, with training and information. Nice and a good tie into engineering there as well. Um, and so, um, but can we take the analogy further? And, and could it be that an organization is going, look, you're, t- you're, t- you're telling me to move my this arm left and that one right and, and go up and down. But, um, you know, it's stupid. What for? I mean, can we take that analogy a little bit further? Or is it always going to be go- the case going, look, we're going to teach you some stuff. Or we're going to learn some stuff that's going to be really, you know, useful. I think uh, it, it would it generally helps to know why you're doing something to be to be sort of read into what the the ultimate aim of sure. the training is um but i don't think it's necessary you know that's that's part of the the um part of industrialization is is breaking down tasks and and things that people have to achieve into as simple steps as possible to try to eliminate error try to imp- Im- improve throughput um and be able to sort of transfer those skills simply by uh, the simplest example is like a checklist of things you have to do in order to complete a task. Okay. Um, so, uh, but, and I, I think that's that strikes a big problem that many people uh, have with the, the sort of post-industrial post-industrial era is um, being in jobs where they don't really know what they're there for, and they just they're just turning a handle every day, and they're not really. And they're a bit dislocated from the end result, from from the from the, you know, if I turn that handle slightly differently, um, it doesn't feel like it's having any effect on the overall success. Okay, but I know Nick wants to come in, but just for you do, but that just makes me think that, okay, so for the karate kid, it was good that he you know waxed on, waxed off, and actually had an ultimate benefit that was good for him, but in in an industrial uh, society, is that you might be that cog in the wheel and okay, you might be doing, if you do improve that, it's better for the overall organization, yeah. but it's not necessarily good for you because it's really tedious. Yeah, I think, I Unless think, we can say that, well, you will keep your job. or, or yeah, you know, I think I think it's on an individual level, feedback is often much more immediate and visceral. And certainly for the karate kid, if he wasn't good, he'd get punched in the face. So, um, you know, he, he, he's got he's got a very real and obvious incentive to, to, to do things, but also the feedback is, is immediate. So he knows... When or when, whether or not he did something right, because it will. Uh... Okay, I think actually, so we'll come on to Nick, but I think we should probably treat it as a just good for the film, right? It was a nice little narrative arc, and that he just that he didn't know what he was doing this for. So, well, that's that's actually, I mean, that's the question. So, the Miyagi method, um, which has probably been trademarked by a <laughs> consultant somewhere, is um, is uh, obviously not to reveal the point of why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, now the question is actually would would it would it have been better if he had known and i'm going to we're stepping way beyond uh, what we're told in the film here and pointlessly speculating which is um you know that's that's uh, always fun but i th- there are um you know there are findings from sports science in which um tr- trying to get people to think about what they're doing makes them worse at it and it's quite it's quite well documented that you know if you take for example a um a golf champ and you ask them to describe what they're doing when they're about to take a part. You know, what are they thinking about? Uh, where are their eyes? Where are their legs? It, it totally throws them, and they and they can't perform as well. And the question here is, you know, I think I think to perhaps Miyagi is trying to 
um, trying to get straight to his unconscious, trying to train his unconscious without him being focused yeah. on that actually he's learning to fight. Yeah. Um, obviously, it makes great cinema as well. But yeah. but it's also uh, there. There could be it could be that actually that is a better way of doing it. That if he if he knew he was training to fight, he might he might have been more directed about it, and and therefore it m- it may have been harder for him to. Um, uh, to to learn, I, and I, I'm just thinking about uh, you know if you if you are um, tr- learning, for example, a, a piece of music on an instrument, um, or let's say practicing um, taking penalty kicks or something. If you're doing it because you know there's going to be a big game, mm. that that may well make you make you worse at it. Um, Abs- well, yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, despite the fact of me saying, hey, maybe this was just a good way of doing it because a film. Actually, hearing you say that makes me realise that. Okay. No, it's not. And, and that's, sorry, just to say, because actually learning through experience is probably, you know, one of the most powerful things there is. And that's really what was happening in this case. I remember once, um, and I, there's, I think there's lots of, I think there's generally knowledge that, you know, learning through experience is a good thing. And I remember once I was asked in a survey, um, you know, what did you, what, what, what did you wish you knew when you were 20 and what would you have done differently? What would you, what would you teach your younger self? And I said, wouldn't have been any point teaching me it because I wouldn't have listened. You know, I have sort of, you know, you, it's, you know, learning through your mistakes and learning through experience. I mean, and I think we're all nodding our heads. So I think we all agree. I think, um, and I think there are other there are other examples, real life examples. Um, I think there's a there's a, I think it's Middle East somewhere, China maybe, um, that farmers teach their their prodigies how to sex chicken chicken chicks. Um, isn't that illegal? With, no. Without uh, not not to have sex with them, but how oh, to right, sex okay, them? Sorry. How to sort of pick one up and quickly decide whether it's male or female? I've got a feeling and then sort it's Vietnam, uh, the, Vietnam, the the world capital of chicken sexing. But we can look. I know they're very up. quick. Is this be. the point you're building to? Yeah, but the the um uh, and the, the it's it's all done through um through sort of uh, heuristic type teaching rather than principles. So no, they say pick up a chicken and check for this these indicators and then decide based on those indicators. The, the the students just start picking up chicks and then go to put the chick into bucket male or bucket female mm. and then their 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 supervisor just says yes or no and then they correct based on that how and does they the supervisor d- know but anyway but he well he knows because he was taught i know but how can you i'm sure it's lots of it's to do with feeling not just looking uh, no I, I think i think it's just done on site or, really yeah it's just done on site so the the, the they t- he turns it over so they both can see and then goes to make a decision and then gets immediate feedback whether or not that's right or not. Okay. But doesn't have, but none of the, none of these, these experienced chicken sexes are able to quantify what it is they're looking for. They just know when they pick one up and look at it. it. I think, I think, um, I, I, now I'm not claiming to be an expert on chicken sexing, but I've got a, uh, just I, I believe that what you do is squeeze the chicken and then yeah. something happens to its, to its cloaca and that tells you whether or not it's uh, male or female. Okay, I don't but obviously know. I've only learned about it learned about it from books. And if someone, you know, if someone gave me a chicken to sex, I would, I would not have a clue. Okay, which so it really underlines the point here. Okay, we need to get hold of some chickens, right, or some chicks. Um, okay, well, we'll... I, I've got. Uh, sorry, just I think um, just to, I know we're you know we're on an interesting topic here with the chicken sexing, but um, just to relate it to something a bit more uh, fundamental, yeah. and I think this goes back to actually to something you were saying about uh, Peter was talking about the. Um, the question of whether, you know, as a business, you can either get people who are highly skilled and let them make their own minds up. Yeah. Or you can stick a load of processes in that that minimize the possibility of error. But, um, you know, are probably quite boring for people. Okay. Now, this is, ex- I think, exactly like this makes me think of the um, 
of the difference between uh, of the trade-off in in evolution as well as lots of other things between hard wiring and learning okay and humans are very uh have got a lot of learning um software uh which actually hinders them i mean as you'd expect it hinders them early on which is why children take you know a year or two years to learn to walk mm. whereas animals can just do it within five minutes because they, they have hard wiring for walking but in humans we've we've traded away some of that hard wiring to have a more more plasticity in the brain mm-hmm. and, and of course that is as peter said earlier you know it's something that makes us uniquely human um that plasticity uh, it means that we can end up doing things which are total, which have absolutely no um, analogy in the in the in the sort of uh, re- the evolutionary environment. So we can do things like play the violin. Yeah, but it's not something we evolved to do. Um, but you know, the price we pay uh, is that we are useless at doing things for for several years before sure. it takes us. You know, to, let's say a decade or so to get good enough to really to live. Well, that's a really wide subject. I think I think that's probably quite a, a rich theme there. So I think we should pick that up in another podcast. Um, but that makes it's not just humans right it's i think primates in general are good for that for that kind of thing and and but maybe humans all the more so than other primates because i know that for example chimpanzees have kind of got this semi-hard wiring as well um anyway and i'm sure there's probably other animals beyond beyond primates i don't know um okay but look we've drifted away from the karate kid we've already talked about one thing there We're, we're fairly close to um you know we haven't got much time left what else? Anything? Any? Anything else brilliant we can we can sort of take away from the Karate Kid? Well, to bring it back to sort of uh, what what we do, um, I think that uh, analysis and decision making are in the class of things you can get better at through training and learning uh, and practice with feedback. So um, I think I just wanted to you know bring that up because uh, previous previous work and previous organisations I work for. Um, Often decision makers are sort of held up as the kind of the fighter pilots of of, of the profession. Um, they sort of they're born with some kind of gift about being able to make the call and and make good decisions. But actually, I think that's just mainly luck. Um, uh, they that they have they happen to have had a good string of good decisions, which mean that they rise through the ranks and get to senior positions. And if their luck continues, then they're great. Um, but actually, being rational, making good decisions, and 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 uh, collecting and using the information to form beliefs to make those decisions is something you c- that can be practiced. It can be mm-hmm. can be developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I say often we sort of come back to this as, as I mentioned previously. This sort of I think we should have a sort of new tagline for our podcast, which is and to borrow something from from the Buddha, which is um, Aleph insights the truth about the way things really are. Um, <laughs> uh, Nick, anything else? Any other Karate Kid? No. Um, what about, um, I think there are things like, I, actually, I should have referred to this own great quote, first learn stand, then learn fly, nature rule, Daniel Sand, not mine, uh, which I think is quite a good one. Um, and I think, um, I think it's about, also not about trying, yeah, do or do not. Uh, there is no try, which is quite a nice. One. Never, it's always bothered me that because it's Isn't not a very yoga? reliable guide to learning stuff. It actually reminds me a bit of the problem with magic in Harry Potter. Right. Um, if you look at the way that magic appears in good in good uh, you, you know fantasy fiction, okay. If you look at something like um, Lord of the Rings or, or Game of Thrones, the magic is very very sparing, and it's not clear what people are doing when they're summoning magic, and it's you're meant to kind of assume it's either very very difficult or very costly in some way. Okay. The problem with Harry Potter is that it's really not clear 
what they're doing when they're learning to cast what makes neville worse at casting spells than hermione i i've got no idea you know one of the, they're both doing the same set of actions <laughs> but one of them is good at casting spells and one isn't um now that's that's the problem with do or do not it doesn't really get you very far what if you can't do no, but hold on. That's if you're just taking it as a point. Look at what can we learn, or, or how can our learning be improved, right? Um, you know, I want to I actually. A... I actually want to see. I want. I would love someone. To, I'd like to see Mr. Miyagi and Yoda in a <laughs> in a in a fist fight. Well, no, I... but Miyagi would just go do not. I presume, or he would do. He would do one or the other, right? He wouldn't sort of sit around going, "Oh, should I fight this little green fellow or not?" He would just go. No, if Yoda I'm off. wasn't. I'm out of here. I mean, if Yoda wasn't allowed to use magic, I think it would be a toss-up. Actually, but hold on. Is it magic? Um, if you're a Jedi, I think it's a whole different thing. Is it magic or is it science? Yeah. No, another another topic for another. So on that sort study. of on that sort of um, question, I think we should leave it. Um, well, look. Suffice to say, wax on, wax off. Don't forget to breathe. Very important. That is the advice from uh, Aleph Insights. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Peter Coghill um, from LF Insights. We'll, we'll leave it there and, and until the next episode. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>